afternoon, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson with the November 18th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more engaged citizen and a more informed voter. Today, my guest is Lisa Wells Harris. She is one of my very best friends from my undergraduate years at the College of William and Mary. How are you doing today, Lisa? I'm doing great. I'm really glad and excited to join you today in this different capacity. <laughs> <laughs> Very different capacity. Uh, we met each other uh, the fall of 1981 when I was a freshman. And um, we kind of knew each other for a while. And then I took a very, very important step in my life. And that is to uh, cross the burning sands of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. And it just so happens that Lisa was the person who crossed me over that burning sands because she was our honorable dean of pledges. And of course, that term is a little out of date now in our sorority lingo, uh, but I will forever think of her as my DP. Uh, my DP, uh, in addition to graduating from the College of William and Mary, also is an Ivy League law graduate. And I'll let her tell you a little bit about that and the work that she has been doing for the last, oh God, 25 years or so. Oh, I think probably longer than that. I'm not <laughs> even sure. I hate to even count it. It just, it seems like, it seems like yesterday. And, you know, I just showed you an, uh, a copy of a um, little clipping from newspaper, a picture of the two of us from when we were on campus at William and Mary all those many years ago. So it seems like, it was just yesterday sometimes and then other times it seems like the many, many years have passed. But um, I was a junior when you came to William and Mary. Um, and I think you were 17 years old. <laughs> and I, I yeah, you were. And I, I pretty much knew the minute I met you that this was a Delta woman. There was no, in, in the making, there was no question that she was going to be a Delta one day. And sure enough, um, she is a proud and amazing uh, woman of Delta. Um, but so I graduated from William and Mary with a degree in economics in 1983 um, and decided that I wanted to go straight to law school. So I spent that time prior to graduation doing the whole application process and all and went to the University of Pennsylvania Law School in Philadelphia, um, was there for the three years of law school, um, graduated in 86 and then took the uh, kind of <laughs> tried and true path that so many take and went to a big firm for three years. I went, I was from Richmond at the time, went back home to Richmond um, and worked for the second biggest law firm in Richmond for about three and a half years before deciding that was not the path um, for me um, and ended up in sort of moving into a path uh, of public service. So first going to an association, um, the Association of Attorneys General, which is the membership association of all of the state AGs in DC uh, in 89. And that was my introduction to sort of life in DC and politics in DC and um, sort of how things work uh, here. And then um, spent four and a half years there and then uh, took a position with a federal agency where I have been for, oh goodness, 26 years. I've been a federal employee now for 26 years, which is hard to believe. 
Yes, yes. And as a federal employee living in Washington, D.C., that gives you unique insight to some things that take place. And that unique insight has manifested itself into your blog to a certain degree. Uh, Lisa has the start and stop blog and she started (laughs) back up again and she posted something on Facebook this week that I thought was just wonderful. Uh, Lisa, if you could just read a small excerpt of it for us. I will. Um, A split second later, I was screaming, my arms in the air, tears rolling down my face. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were now our president-elect and vice president-elect. I felt immediate relief like I was exhaling one four year long held in breath, like I was breaking the ground surface after having been buried alive under heaps of foul suffocating earth. I felt joy that had been suppressed, tamped down and eroded suddenly emerged like a gloriously bright sunrise. Yes. And of course that speaks to uh, how many people felt over the last week. Um, It was just, I think, announced a couple of days ago that Georgia has indeed turned blue. Uh, My guest last week was a longtime Republican, and we had a very uh, good discussion. Uh, He, of course, is somebody who voted for President Trump. And this week, as you know, local matters, I don't mind having a diversity of guests. So I've got somebody now that did not vote for President Trump. Um, Tell me how that has been received among people who know you, Lisa? Um, The blog post um, was actually (laughs) pretty universally um, well-received. A lot of people felt agreement with it. Uh, They appreciated my putting into words the way they have felt. so there were, and and I, uh, somebody who I know, um, also uh, I put it on Facebook, but somebody who I know also tweeted it, which then reached a broader number of people. Some I know, some I don't know, and again, overwhelmingly, the reaction has been positive. I think on Twitter there was one negative um, reaction, um, so that pretty much says a lot. Uh, I. One of the things that I think is really interesting is I think people think there are some people, not not everybody, but there are some people who think that as a federal employee, you lose your right to your own beliefs, your own thoughts about policy, your own ideas, your own sort of political leanings and your own idea about what Um, direction the country should be going in and um, how to get there. And you absolutely do not lose that just because you're a federal employee. And so I think, you know, writing this post is a reminder to myself that I am able to feel how I want to feel. I'm a citizen of this country um, and I'm a career employee and I have the, um, the, the right to express my beliefs. Uh, I don't lose that right um, simply by being a federal employee. So that was one thing I think that was very important to me. I mean, and at the same time, I think what it, 
the other side of that is we as federal employees take, you know, we take an oath um, and our oath has to do with um, upholding the constitution, but also, and of course as a lawyer as well, but, but also serving people, serving the public. And I think that that is what we do. So, you know, when you're a career employee, an administration comes in, it goes out, another administration comes in and that goes out. We carry out our responsibility to implement the laws um, of, that are, that are um, established by our legislature, Congress, and that are, um, um, and to award funds and grants in ways that are um, in keeping with the laws and the rules um, that are established and in keeping with the policy of whatever the current administration is. So I guess what I'm trying to say is we do, we do our jobs. We work in accordance with whoever the current administration is to implement the policy of the administration um, as we are directed to do. It doesn't mean that your own <laughs> thoughts have to suddenly change. And we don't serve people, we serve the public. Right. And in terms of serving the public, we know that comes first when you're a public servant. I've worked at the local level. You've worked at the state, at the federal level. Uh, that obligation is always there, regardless of what your individual beliefs are. Um, one of the other things that struck me about the piece was the portion. And I think all of us can resonate with this. There was somebody that you have known for several years that is a strong Trump supporter that went off on you basically because you expressed your own opinions. Can you talk to us, describe that episode a little bit for us? Sure, it was, it was unsettling. I, I mean, full disclosure, it, it was somebody who, it was somebody who I knew through, you know, I, I have two adult kids and um, as, as you go through life, your kids activities bring you into contact with and, and fellowship and relationship with, you know, all sorts of people from PTA to sports to theater and whatever else. Um, and so this was a, uh, there, you know, this gentleman was among the families that I knew as a result of that. Um, we aren't close friends, but we shared close experiences. And I saw a comment from him on a mutual friend's Facebook post. We are not Facebook friends ourselves, but I saw a comment on there that basically said that President Trump is good for black people. And I felt that I couldn't let that go. Um, so I responded and said, hi, black woman here. And I knew he would remember me from, from mm -hmm. you know, our past experiences. I, black woman here, um, Trump really is not good for black people. I attached an article that I had recently read that I thought really laid out in sort of clear detail, some examples of why that is the case. Um, and it then evolved into him trying very hard to convince me that um, Trump was good for black people. And I finally decided that obviously I was not going to get anywhere. And so I just said, you know, I'm not gonna say anymore. I, I won't, I'm done. I won't respond anymore. Um, he then took it upon himself to track down a post of mine from May, a public post from May. Um, and that, that was after, I think, oh goodness. It was a post that dealt with Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd. And then also 
uh, Amy Cooper, the woman who called uh, the police on the gentleman in Central Park. And it was a Black Lives Matter post that I was making. I was making the point about black men and upholding black men and ensuring the safety of black men and indicate and, and sort of explaining that I felt that black men are in danger in this country um, because of entrenched racism and uh, perception. Um, and he found that post, found it, um, and then proceeded on a whole other path about how all lives matter and you know it's axiomatic to people that black lives matter i mean we should all realize that but really all lives matter and you know why was i not worried about chicago and why weren't uh colin kaepernick and lebron james doing anything about chicago and that's the knee-jerk reaction to me you know whenever people talk about black lives matter and the need to address institutional racism in this country and the need to reform the criminal justice system, the knee jerk reaction is, well, there's killing going on in Chicago. Why doesn't anybody care about that? And it's offensive. Um, and so that Ren, I mean, honestly, that really set me off because I, I first of all, I mean, uh, you know, one can be concerned about that, but what we are talking about and what I was talking about in my post is well-known, well-documented institutional racism and well-known and well-documented police brutality against unarmed black men and women. Um, and he just was not hearing me about that. So it, it went on and on over the course of a few days, friends got involved. I sort of stood back and other friends jumped in and, and sort of carried, <laughs> carried on the fight. Um, but it was so overwhelming and it was unsettling and it was very upsetting that he couldn't see me. I'm right here. And he had known me, he and his wife had known me, um, you know, in the experiences that we had supporting our kids over like a span of a few years. And I'm sitting here trying my best to explain what it is like to be a black woman over these last four years and to help him understand the pain of seeing people that I thought liked and cared about me and my children supporting this man in office and also sort of railing against the Black Lives Matter movement. And he couldn't hear me. He couldn't hear me and ultimately it just became ugly. And I asked him to please leave me alone and, and not harass me. So you were being harassed by someone you knew about your opinions and he was trying to tell you that you shouldn't have the opinion that you had. That's pretty much the way it was. Yes. Yes. And that you as an Ivy League trained attorney um, needed to spend more time listening to Herschel Walker, Herschel Walker. than developing your own thoughts. Herschel Walker. I should listen to Herschel Walker because Herschel Walker is evidence that Trump is not racist. And also I should view a number of videos that he just sort of, you know, he sort of, there was this barrage of watch this and tell me if there's institutional racism and watch this video. Obviously I watched none of them um, because I don't believe that he needs to teach me anything. Um, 
you know, I'm quite well aware and have a, a brain. Uh, and he was not willing to engage in any real discussion with me. He wasn't listening, nor was he listening to any of a number of other people who were very concerned um, about his, both his approach and his words. And this included my, my, one of my sons and some of his friends. Um, a, a number of them got involved as well because, it, it, I mean, first of all, it was, you know, to defend me, which I thought was very nice. But also, I mean, they were hurt by what, hurt in a different way. I don't think they took it personally. I take a lot of things personally. I mean, that's another full disclosure thing. I am an empath. I feel everything and things hurt. Like they really honestly hurt. And I, the fact that I can't get across to somebody, um, you know, and then when you magnify that <laughs> by how many others um, think this way, including people who I know, um, I, I just, I, I am struggling with that. I'm really struggling with that and I'm struggling with where we are and what we have uncovered or revealed has been, you know, not necessarily dormant, but not as seen and in, you know, more sort of more recent times, yeah. it's back, it is back. Yes. Um, so as we shift gears into what will transpire on January 20th, tell me why you are hopeful uh, first, if you are hopeful, why you are hopeful, and um, President-elect Biden's pledge to try to unify the country and heal some of these divisions. Um, are you feeling optimistic about that? I am. I mean, and, well, and that's the thing. I mean, the, the title of my blog post was Tempered Joy because I was joyful. Um, I, I literally jumped off my sofa um, when, when the race was called and screamed. And then, you know, as I read, um, you know, started crying. So I'm joyful, but it's tempered, um, because we are so divided. Um, there's, you know, today in, in DC, there's a million MAGA march taking place. Um, which is there. And I, I saw some footage of it earlier. Um, people are not accepting the results of this election and um, people are still staunchly supportive of <laughs> basically what I view as the atrocities of these last four years. So um, while I am, I am hopeful because um, I think that some of the stress and pain that I know I've been living under for the last four years will have been lifted. I mean, this constant, what is being tweeted today? What is the news going to tell me? Uh, you know, how many more people are gonna die from COVID today? Are we going to go through yet another day, you know, where uh, the president says nothing and feels absolutely not one whit of empathy about, um, you know, people dying or people who, whose lives are forever altered because of COVID. Um, so I, I, I'm hopeful because I think obviously day-to-day -day life is going to be different. Um, a huge burden that has been sitting on our shoulders, um, I think will be 
somewhat lifted, but then how do we not get here again is what scares me most. Um, and that is part of what tempers my joy because when half the country is okay with where we have been sitting for the last four years, I'm not quite sure if it is enough to make sure that we don't end up here, here again. Do I think that President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris will do everything possible to keep pushing us in the right direction? Yes, I do. I, I believe that they will. I am particularly psyched about Kamala Harris. Um, I just, I mean, I think that um, seeing a black South Asian woman in the number two spot in the country is the, is the kind of hope that we need. It's something to reach for, it's representation. Um, I think that uh, President-elect Biden made a, an amazingly um, intelligent choice to select her. As and courageous. His, and courageous. And courageous, absolutely courageous. Um, and she acknowledged that too, which I thought was, um, was a good thing. Um, and I think that he is listening to her and she's listening to him. Um, I, the other thing I think though is, um, and I will say this, the other, I guess one of the other things that concerns me is how, you know, the Democratic Party moves forward because there's a lot of infighting in the party. Um, and I think that, you know, obviously we need, you need, uh, you need vigorous discussion and debate um, in order to move forward and decide, you know, and, and sort of reach policy that will continue to move us forward on all sorts of fronts, economics and education and uh, poverty and um, uh, racial justice. And I mean, you need all of that. Um, but I, I think that it just in sort of seeing how things are playing out at the moment, there's a lot of blame gaming going on. And I think that that's the kind of thing that is not going to help us. Um, we, need to, we need to be, I mean, not to be sort of playing my violin about it, but we, we do need to be um, hearing each other and, and listening to impact of, you know, sort of real life, like what is, what, what kinds of policies are really going to impact people's lives? And, and I guess where I'm going with that is, you know, I, I do think um, we have to listen to uh, the progressive, the increasingly progressive side of the party. I mean, they have to have room in here. They've got to have room in this party. And I personally think that we can't, you know, keep sort of shifting so much toward the center. We have to be willing to allow ourselves to be tugged more in the other direction. And that, if we can do that, um, then I think at least uh, that is a hopeful thing for the party. Now, I again, for the country, I don't know, because that, I, I, I'm still troubled by the whole, you know, sort of half the country that is, uh, is okay with sort of the racist place we've been for four years, so. Okay. As you think about politics, and obviously you've been studying politics for a long time, um, 
would you ever see yourself running for office or anything one day? Once, nope. once, once Lisa Wells Harris retires from the federal government, what do you see yourself doing? Oh, goodness. I, you know, you and I've talked about this. I'm, I've talked about writing a book. I don't know if this book will ever get written. It'll get written if I get out of my own way. Um, right. If I get out of my own way. And so I need to keep on working on that. So that's, that's one thing. And that would be more about, I think more about just raising black boys in this country. And, you know, it, uh, my kids are adults now, um, but, and I'm not raising them anymore, but they're still my children. And so I think I have something to say, uh, not just about sort of their upbringing, you know, from age zero to 21, but what it's like being a black mom of black men in this time. Um, and so that's, that's one thought. Um, yeah, definitely not. I, I, don't, I just don't see myself running for office. I could see myself, um, you know, sort of more on the volunteer side of things, behind the scenes maybe, um, maybe on the education side, again, in a volunteer effort. I, I, I mean, the funny thing is why I went to law school, I don't really, I, I've always wondered about why I did that and whether I was running from other things like, you know, writing, music. Um, and it, so there is, you know, I, I might want to run back to some of what I perhaps was running from. Yeah. And as you mentioned music, I have to tell our audience, Lisa was the absolute first Black violinist that I knew. Um, <laughs> I just coming up from Augusta, Georgia, um, I just didn't know any Black kids who played the violin. And then I meet Lisa and she was top notch. Um, tell me, you were in William and Mary's orchestras, correct? Yeah, I was in, um, so I minored in music, minored mm -hmm. in music and did a violin recital my senior year and was in the college community orchestra all four years and concert mistress my senior year first chair first violin so chair, it was yeah it was like it was my life violin was my life my violin teacher was not happy my violin teacher that I grew up with um in in Richmond was not happy that I decided that I wanted to go to law school he wanted and or that I majored in economics he wanted me to major in music, but he did come to my recital. So that was nice. He didn't completely write me off. Um, and I mean, I don't play as much anymore. I just, I was digging through some boxes the other day and found all of my exercise books, all of my musical exercise books and thought, you know what, I should pull these out and try to warm my fingers up. And I mostly just play occasionally in church now, but. All right. Very good. Thank you so much for being with us today to share that aspect of the story particularly as it relates to how African-American women who are the mothers of sons have felt about the last four years in this country uh, and how uh, we believe we now have some reason for hope and change um, as a result of the 77 million plus people who have selected the Biden-Harris ticket. Lisa, blessings to you. Thank you and to you too. On next week's show, we will venture back into the world of local government. I will have Burke County Sheriff Alfonso Williams here to discuss the second book he has published in 2020. This one is called Police on Policing, the Unsung Consensus. 
following that, uh, we will also sometime in the month of December uh, try to get uh, our senatorial candidates, our incumbent uh, David Perdue and his challenger John Ossoff as well as incumbent Senator Leffler and her opponent, uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock. We'll try to bring those on uh, for you uh, so that we can get prepared for this election. I'm also uh, thinking in terms of trying to talk about the development that was recently announced uh, for the old Kroger property on 15th Street. Uh, we want to get somebody in to talk about that as well. And then before you know it, it'll be time for the January 5th primary. Thanks so much for being with us. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.